I got my first 1 million subscribers, hit the mark in 2017. Then I uh, left YouTube um, to find what I want to do next and realized I just love that platform. If you are coming from the perspective you have no experience, doing the best video possible doesn't make sense because there is a hierarchy of what things have the biggest leverage. The biggest leverage you can have is hitting the right idea at the right time. And if you hit the right idea at the right time and do a video with minimum editing, the video is not really good, but it's okay enough, then that video could still get you know, 50,000 views, that video could still get a few hundred thousand views, even though you have uh, very little uh, uh, experience, you know? I am struggling all the time, but that's the thing, right? And then the moment when something happens, it's usually a good thing. And then people see that good moment and it's like, wow, good moment here, good moment there, good moment there. That's how it is all the time, I guess. Nope, for almost no person in the world, uh, life is not working like that. 1 million YouTube subscribers already in 2017 in his early to mid-20s. That's Kojo Boyson and the current guest of Nonlinear in episode number 14. In this fantastic conversation, we spoke about how to build a YouTube channel and an audience and really dove into the tactics and the first steps of video creation, experimentation. We don't only talk about YouTube, but also about picking projects because Kojo is not only known from YouTube, but has also created his own book by now, has been a guest in ZDF and more different TV shows. And Kojo has also been the German champion in YoYo. And lastly, we also picked the name for Kojo's YouTube coaching, which is currently building up. And um, yeah, super excited to release this episode. Have fun with it and happy 2024. Kojo, maybe a super, super quick intro. You've been a, uh, you've been a YouTuber of the first generation, I think even. And Probably second or third generation, yeah. Maybe intro yourself. Intro yourself. Yeah. I, um, my name is Kojo. I uh, started making YouTube videos in 2013. Which generation that is, you can decide for yourself. I assume it's the second or third generation. Um, I got my first 1 million subscribers, hit the mark in 2017. Then I uh, left YouTube um, to find what I want to do next and realized I just love that platform so much. Um, I kind of still need to have something to do with the whole ecosystem. Uh, in between, I did something else, um, developed myself as an entrepreneur. I went into biohacking. I coached clients and then realized I still have to do all of that, uh, the whole entrepreneurship and coaching within a niche that I love. And the only niche that I always continued to love was YouTube, YouTube growth and how to build communities on social media. So. Man. Man, but there's happened so much in between, right? Like, I, I don't know if this is public information. Of course, we can cut everything, which, which you don't feel comfortable telling. But I know from a mutual friend that you were also in Bitcoin at one point, right? Not at one point, uh, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> common friend told me in 2017, I actually, I mean, I can say that, uh, I, I, uh, invested a lot in that common friend said, Oh, that's a bubble. You should sell everything, which of course I never did. I was right. And I was actually looking forward to when I saw him again, I was like, so hmm, sell everything. Are you still standing by that, uh, by that statement? Because it uh, looks like it's better to keep it. huh? <laughs> so we tell him who that common friend is. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, you know, 
Yeah, it's so fun right? because I recorded an episode with him, right? Like episode number oh, three or four is him actually. So it's Finn. <clears throat> it's Finn um, yeah. from from the from Kappa.ai, who we interviewed. Um and Finn and Kojo are childhood friends, know each other from school. And so that's how Kojo and I also came to know each other. Um yeah, anything to add on to the crypto story? Uh, hold on to your Bitcoin, never sell. <laughs> to I the mean, moon. Uh, I I'm, I'm actually, I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a maximalist, but I would say uh, it is one of those things where uh, so far I have been right with everything I saw in 2017. It looks like uh, the predictions, you know, you don't have to uh, lean too much out of the window at this, at this point. Uh, crypto is the future. Bitcoin is winning and, uh, you know, doesn't take that much. It's not as much risk as it was in 2017. I think it's a good investment. No matter what time frame, even if it if a bull run is coming or if we're in a in a bear market, it doesn't matter. Man, like Kojo, uh, without this being a topic which we scheduled, right? Like, how do you think? It, like, or how do you educate yourself on crypto? And what's your point, maybe? Because I'm totally disconnected from the crypto world, and it's still a community product and a heavily like yeah interconnected product. Okay, yeah. so I. It's it's actually not that easy to find good sources of information with with crypto because uh, depending on the cycle where we are at, suddenly all those people pop out of the ground because they know oh now everyone is interested in crypto they make some money with they make videos on crypto stuff and um, the information is more uh, just leaning towards your emotion you know so everyone wants to hear their uh, predictions that they will be rich soon so everyone makes predictions that you will be rich with that specific crypto coin right. So um, my favorite um, source, one of my favorite sources is uh, Modern Investor. It's a guy that uh, no matter what cycle we're in, if it's if it's in a bull, uh, if it's in, in, a, in a bear cycle where uh, it, everything looks terrible or if we're in a super hyper bullish phase, that guy is always neutral. That guy is always like, yeah, I've, you know, I, I, I think the people you should trust most in the crypto space are the ones that believe in crypto but are most pessimistic. Because uh, everyone is super going with the with the emotion, you know, like everyone is euphoric. So you do contact where you're euphoric, you know, because it works. But that guy is always pessimistic, but believes in crypto. And the information to me always seems like, like I, I follow that one, for example. I, I follow multiple people. But um, that one, for example, has been right throughout the years all the time because he never made crazy predictions uh, try to just please your emotion just to get big and uh, you know because all those crypto influencers oftentimes have their own um uh, uh you know uh, ulterior motive in the end of the day which is uh, you know get big make a lot of money uh, you know look out for themselves so they'll just say whatever they need to say but there are a few modern investors one of them and um everything else all my other information comes from reading articles got it Hey, uh, so let's now let's now move away before people think that we are delivering a crypto crypto episode for them. Um, Kojo, I would say let's just cut to the chase, like what we spoke about uh, before we started the episode. Um, we've last seen each other in June of this year. Back then, you were getting into like after your YouTube run, after which you then had like a two or three year break. You then went into coaching biohacking. So basically, I think transferring the knowledge which you love to absorb and put into practice yourself to entrepreneurs. Uh, also build a TikTok channel around this, I think. And you seem to to go full full gear as you usually do. Um, so, uh, yeah, 
what's the what's the latest <clears throat> all right so the very latest update was um I had, after I started to break through in the biohacking coaching with my uh, first few clients, I had really good results with them, you know, and after that, usually, you know, the whole thing is a band, bandwagon effect. We have good results, which you can show people, suddenly new people come in and everything gets automated. But I realized, uh, you know, uh, the whole biohacking stuff was not as interesting to me personally as i thought because it was interesting when i was getting the results myself you know when i was just applying everything but it was not interesting enough for me to teach people i lost interest quickly so i realized okay if i'm not that interested i can't see myself doing that in the next 20 years you know but then i realized at the same time while i was basically offline on youtube i always continued educating myself in terms of uh, you know, the whole YouTube education thing, you know, like how to improve your titles and thumbnails, even though I'm not even making videos. And then I realized, wait, but if I do that, if it, if there's not even a, a deeper meaning in doing that, then I must do that out of passion. So why not, why not just stay with that? Right. And, um, yeah. And, and I made one experience when I, while I was still in the biohacking niche, I contacted uh, two coaches that worked together. Uh, they Their brand name was ASM, but now they're called uh, highticket.com. Um, and they basically said, bro, like everything you have right now is so uh, deemed to explode if you just do the YouTube coaching. Uh, the only reason you didn't want to do that in the first place was because you didn't have any experience back then when you started. Um, because, uh, you know, the one thing in YouTube is if you have zero subscribers, you have no experience, nothing on YouTube, it is not easy to get from zero to something on, on YouTube because there are so many things you have to learn. But when I started coaching, taking money for it and stuff, I got people that have never done YouTube before. And then me coming from a perspective where I already, where I have the experience of having made over a thousand videos, over 60 videos with a million views, a couple of views, videos with over 6 million views, uh, over a million subscribers. And then I start to teach them how to install Photoshop. Of course, I'm losing all my passion because I'm not really doing the thing that I love. I don't give a fuck about how to install Photoshop. So um, quickly, I uh, realized I don't want to do this anymore. And then they told me, those coaches in the first session, wait, then just don't work with them, you know, have a stipulation, say, uh, you can only work with me if you have at least 500 subscribers, boom, problem solved, because everyone who has 500 subscribers either already knows how to, how Photoshop works, or they have someone who knows how Photoshop works. So no problem. And then I, I realized how silly it was that I didn't even come to that conclusion, but you know, sometimes it can be that easy. And that's how I pivoted back into the direction that I actually want to go. I mean, how do you realize with a business that works, which was the biohacking, like you probably made, I don't know how many digits you were running through a month with this pro uh, product or with this offering. Uh, how do you realize, yo, it's, I, I'm not passionate about this. Like, I, th I think money is not the big driver for you anyways, but like, how do you come up with, hmm, I don't want to do this anymore? Mm, I think there weren't that many uh, experiences within uh, within the coaching itself that were that were fulfilling to me 
uh, to be honest, I, I, I did, uh, did all kinds of coaching up to this day. Um, so I, I also outside of biohacking coaching. So I have uh, a whole range of experiences and I realized none of it really gives me that feeling where I'm like, yeah, I want to do that again, you know, but where I do have it is fucking YouTube. It's like everything on YouTube, when you have that small win, that just gives me the feeling of that's why I'm doing it. Love it can continue. But uh, when I, I had one client um, in the uh, BioKing um, uh, coaching, I, uh, <clears throat> he said, what was it? One, uh, in, in one session, he said yesterday was probably one of my, the best days of my life. He was uh, driving with a friend in the car and he, he felt like 20 again. And, and the guy's like 38. And I'm like, I, I think that is a really, really, really good sentence that I can market the shit out of. But, you know, it, it, it didn't feel as great as it did when I just hit a home run on YouTube. So, um, you know, collecting these type of experiences, realizing, yeah, it's, it's simply, I don't have, really have that kick made me feel like, okay, then maybe I'll just go with something that I really want to do, you know? Yeah. That's it's super super interesting. I love to hear this pivot actually because it gives us so much stuff to talk about. Um, when I this morning watched a couple of your clips, um, so or, or a couple of your interviews, uh, there was actually like before you wrote your book Grenzenlos or like after you wrote it, uh, there was like an interview and in, with I don't know whom and you said something with Berlin and you said, or you you sometimes use the word monster as the as the youtube algorithm and you were like oh, i was just feeding the monster or something you know and now you shift towards doing youtube coaching so how has this perspective changed well the per per perspective has, hasn't changed uh, the there is a, a blood money aspect to the whole thing it's just facts because the moment you work in social media you contribute to the downside of what social media is That's just a fact. There's no excuse to it. But it, it the, the the truth behind uh, behind it is, I always loved the the uh, figuring out how to beat the system. That was always a thing. Um, I have never found anything else that was more fun to me. Uh, I mean, I started playing chess two years ago. I got super good already. Um, uh, I I beat like 2,000 rated players and stuff. So I love just systematizing stuff and just get ahead. But um, you know, in real life, I don't find that in many, many, um, you know, in many uh, parts where you can challenge yourself. And YouTube is just really, really competitive. That's just, that's my thing, you know. Uh, uh, okay. And how do you, like, oh, before we, like, of course, let's double click on the tactics uh, in a couple of yep. minutes. But like, first, like, what is YouTube for you? You've spoken about uh, social media audiences, communities, like what do you, How has YouTube evolved? What is it for you? Like, can you just tell us a bit of how you how you feel and think about it? <clears throat> YouTube is a very interesting animal when you think about it in terms of social media um, and in terms of uh, how it developed over the years. Um, and depending on from what perspective you're looking at it, uh, it's a completely new story. Mm -hmm. From the perspective of challenge, you know, as an influencer, it's interesting to see that the same thing you did a couple of years ago don't, doesn't work anymore today because it keeps changing, you know, one, one uh, flick of a switch for the algorithm that not even a person 
did, but the, the system itself at some point um, changes the whole, um, you know, changes the whole game. Another thing is to see or to realize that, you know, the algorithm is just a mirror of society in a degree. Uh, it was not like that like three, four years ago, but it is, I would say it is most certainly like that today because all the algorithm is trying to do is just play what it thinks you like to, to, to see. And it is just based on how you react. So, you know, when you look, when you see content, it is kind of a reflection of what people want to see. And just seeing that, you know, and getting a reflection where society is moving or what the algorithm thinks I like, that is also an interesting thing, right? Where you realize, oh, okay, for some reason, because I clicked on one wrong video, I'm in, in a strange bubble. I'm like, but I'm not interested in that stuff. Why am I seeing this all of a sudden? I clicked on, just as a small anecdote, I clicked on a SpongeBob conspiracy theory uh, video and I saw a whole bubble of 50 SpongeBob conspiracy theory videos. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that this was a rabbit hole, but okay, why not? You know, so um, YouTube in itself is a, a whole world where I feel like you could almost spend your whole life with, which you of course should, but this is what's fascinating for me because there's definitely a community for everyone. Every single person in the world has a community on YouTube. Even if it's just a couple of hundred people, it is crazy. And that's why I believe YouTube is actually a really nice uh, focal point for every person in the world to just find the two, three people in the, in even the smallest community in the world. And how does TikTok and IG and Facebook groups and stuff compare? Let's maybe not talk about Facebook groups. Let's talk about Instagram and, and TikTok. How do they get well, into this picture? I think Instagram and um, TikTok are more relevant in terms of short-form content. But what they try to do is to make their content longer because it's more relevant when people consume, you know, like Netflix, like 40 minutes of two episodes or something. And I think, you know, at, at this point right now in, in with younger audiences, short form content is just a little bit more relevant. But um, it seems to me that YouTube is trying to stay relevant by emulating what the newest trend is, short form content with TikTok while TikTok is trying to emulate what YouTube and Netflix is doing, which is just do very long form content, you know, uh, high, high premium content that people will consume for hours on end. So, uh, you know, both ends are trying to just be most relevant. Um, but I believe the king of all will probably still be YouTube for the simple reason that long form content has more potential to influence people than short form content. content. That's just Uh, effect also long form content the entry barrier is very low everyone can do a video you know like a nine second video and that nine second video could have 50 million views you could never never do that with youtube because in order to get 50 million views your video has to be so extraordinary that the likelihood to achieve that is nearly zero so the entry barrier is much higher because videos are uh, just longer and the whole game the the it, it's just different so uh in comparison youtube uh, youtube versus instagram versus tiktok the other two platforms 
right now with younger audiences are a little bit more um, relevant while YouTube has more influence in total. And when do you think, like, or for whom do you think YouTube is the right thing to do? And like, for instance, in the business context, right? Have there ever been clients or people approaching you and you were like, oh, you probably shouldn't go on YouTube? Is it a pure target audience question? Or like, how do you go about this? YouTube, everyone can do, uh, especially, so YouTube is definitely for personal brands. Everyone who wants to be a personal brand has to be on YouTube. Because in the end of the day, you can do short form content, you can build audiences with short form content, but retaining audience and get a loyal audience base, that is a thing that, you know, you start converting people on YouTube. You don't do that on TikTok. The thing is, there is a, an interesting anecdote of this influencer. I forgot. I don't know what her name is. I don't even know her. I've never seen content of her. Uh, that she has like 10 million followers. Uh, on TikTok and was at a convention, you know, where fans can sign stuff. And next to her was a YouTuber with 10,000 subscribers or something like that. Mm. And not a single person was at her booth, but the guy with the 10,000 subscribers had like super loyal fans coming up and being super excited. Oh, you're like, uh, and then love to talk to them. Why? Because it's long form content and the the follower who, who uh, follows you on youtube is so much more loyal and has so much more of a connection with you than you know someone who saw like five 10 second clips of you you know it's just there's not much connection you can build it's something that is just is that you swipe by like every other content it's just a bobbling head moving and saying a few words and then the next one is it still like uh, when you started youtube 10 years ago Uh, or like, is it, uh, uh, could you, can you, could you replicate your success with YouTube back then from zero to 1 million nowadays? Or has the, is the algorithm and the like marketplace YouTube totally changed that for instance, the eyeballs to creator ratio kind of like, uh, went down or something. Nothing has changed. The fundamentals will always stay the same. I believe that it's the case with everything all the time. In the end of the day, there will always be some some things that you can leverage, you know, uh, that will, I mean, I guess the logic with everything is always, there is always a thing where when you put your energy in, you get more than, you know, when you put one entity of energy in that you can get to entity of some sort of energy back. And you have to do the same with YouTube. I mean, it is that that has never changed. The only thing that has changed is the exact way how to get that has changed, but the logic is the same. So. Uh, all it is, is like, oh, okay, years have passed, YouTube uh, uh, changed in a way, then, okay, what do I have to do? Just test it out and see, look at the audience, what they're doing and get feedback. So, you know, okay, this seems to be something where I put low, uh, you know, uh, less energy in than what I get back and that works, you know? So um, the, the one thing that everyone gets um, stuck on when they do content is like, <clears throat> they want to do it perfectly or they feel insecure and not that matters. The only thing that really matters if the end goal is to, to grow is to just get feedback. You know, you shoot something out. It doesn't have to be good content. It doesn't matter. All you need is feedback because uh, you can have your own conceptions of how stuff works. But the reality of everything is once you have the first comments, once you have the first views, 
you have real feedback that you can base upon the next decisions to to improve and if you always use that feedback that is real because you got it then you can improve and find that one thing that uh, outworks that one idea that one strategy that outworks all the other ways you could move forward on youtube you know so it's a great point, Kojo. I love it. Like the other day I watched a video where this one dude was telling us and he was quoting Mr. Beast on that. Actually, he was like, um, the, the video, which makes like 30 million views, uh, the dude has probably put like 30 X the time, uh, the time input in as the guy who created the 1 million view video. So what I got out of this is that like, there is a craft in creating top, top, top performing long form content, right? However, so, yeah. and this goes kind of like against the, against this prototype, against this uh, principle of release early release often, because like, yes, of course I could release shit 30 minute video content, but it would take me still like, I don't know, two days to record and cut and edit everything. So how does this, like you're speaking about long form content about, um, release often and put feedback in there. And then at the same time, there's also this thing which says like the more effort you put in there, the more you like do it about the hook, the more script writing you do, the better the visuals are, the better the cameras moving and stuff, like the better the quality will be. But how do you balance all of this out? Like without being on an instantly two, two year journey or something until you get like hundred K subs or something, or is this the minimum requirement? Like I no clue. It sounds a little bit like it is uh, like a contradiction, of course, you know, either you uh, do a lot of uploads or you do a super high quality and you can't do super high quality in a lot of uploads uh, unless you're Alexa Mosey and you can spend 100K per month uh, with the team of 20 people or something. So <clears throat> makes complete sense. So it depends on the perspective who is uh, trying to figure out what the right strategy is. The strategy for someone who has never done YouTube is going to be upload as much as possible, period. There's no other strategy that makes sense for the simple reason that if you spend all your time and all your energy on one video, it's still going to be shit, period. <laughs> it's, the, the thing is, it, it, it is such a complicated craft if you've never done it before, if you've never done video editing before on the level of what at least is considered okay on YouTube, it's gigantic, you know? So if you if you spend all your time and energy in one video, then th there, there are two things that will happen. First of all, because you spend so much time and energy in, in there, the it will break your heart twice as hard, 10 times as hard when you realize nobody's watching it. Because the video is still not good, you will get that feedback, then you will, because you don't want to think it's because the video is still shit, you will think, uh, and that's the most common thing that everyone thinks, the algorithm hates me. The, if something's wrong with the algorithm, why is the algorithm so unfair? I think my videos are much better than, uh, than what they're getting. Nope, it's just shit, you know? So uh, if you are coming from the perspective you have no experience, doing the best video possible doesn't make sense because there is a hierarchy of what things have the, the biggest leverage. The biggest leverage you can have is hitting the right idea at the right time. And if you hit the right idea at the right time and do a video with minimum editing, the video is not really good, but it's okay enough, then that video could still get 
you know, 50,000 views, that video could still get a few hundred thousand views, even though you have uh, very little uh, experience, you know? So uh, getting those lessons in is so much more important and you will not get them in if you do like one video every two months and you spend all your time and energy in there if you have no experience <clears throat> in the first place. But if you already have experience, you know how to edit, you have specific experience with YouTube, you know, you have a feeling of what type of content works, what people want to see, uh, what is interesting right now, what is relevant, then you have to go with the other strategy. Uploading as much as possible is stupid in, 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 and so far that then all of a sudden you have to sacrifice quality. But if you, if your predictions of what you're doing are already high enough that it's worth it to spend all your energy on one, one shot, then that's the right strategy because <clears throat> of course uh, youtube will prefer the video that's highly relevant with better quality than the video that's highly relevant with less quality so you need to have that a few extra percent sure but if you ride the wave you ride the wave either way if your skateboard is semi-broken or the newest one on the market you'll still or surfboard you'll still ride the wave got yeah, it exactly where does short form content end and long long form content start what video length One minute. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, sick content. Uh, you're, you're dropping super, super cool. What's the criterion to work with you? Like how many followers do you need to have? Or what's the, I don't know whether it's subscribers. 500? 500. 500. This is quite uh, young though, like in terms of, or quite early in terms of followers, right? And what's your promise? Like what do you do? 10x, 100x in what time frame? I don't, I, I started with promises in the beginning. I took promises completely down for the simple reason that I attract, I was attracting the wrong people. If someone comes to me mm. and is like, yeah, you will, uh, you will uh, 10x my views. Awesome. Perfect. And otherwise I get my money back. Then someone comes in and um, doesn't have the, uh, the right attitude, understanding that it is only possible if you go, go all in. And if you, if you're willing to be disappointed, again, 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 and again, just to get that one piece of information that we need for the 10th video to just go viral, you know? So uh, I, I don't want to work with anyone that has the expectation, okay, I'll just, you know, this is a business transaction where you uh, press a button, you give some money and it works by itself because in the end of the day, you know, it is even easier if I would be a fitness coach because uh, even though the other person has to say, I will not eat that burger today, on YouTube, there's so many more things my client still has to do that making a promise would be dangerous because I would attract someone who thinks, okay, then I don't have to do that much because the lever the, the, uh, he doesn't have any risk. I need my clients to have risks. So they do the fucking work. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, if I get someone who's like, yeah, I'm not so sure because, uh, you know, they are not even sure of themselves if they will fulfill the requirements you know what they need to do then i don't want to work with them yeah. but yeah at, at, at the beginning i was uh, i said i will triple triple your views and add another 10,000 subscribers and the 10,000 subscribers is a long-term goal um but the tripling views within a few months but um that i no longer promise for the simple reason that i don't want to work with anyone who relies on that promise and it's attracting the wrong people It makes sense. And do you feel comfortable dropping your price tags or like, uh, do you think this is up for negotiation or it's changing? I, think I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, 
drop any prices because they are only going up. Um, so whatever I'm saying now is not going to be the price what it is in uh, five months from now. So it's stupid to have any price tags. T totally, totally. And since when are you have you pivoted to this thing? Because your other page is still live, right? I, I think all the other stuff is still uh, is still live. Yeah, I pivoted probably in August, I believe. Ah, okay. August twenty three. Hey, last question regarding this, Kuju. Like, how do you stay up to up to up with the trends with the algorithm? Like, you're constantly mentioning that the the matrix is changing. <laughs> I feel like it's a bit like the Inception picture, right? Um, where the map is changing and stuff, and you say, okay, the principles are the same, and the Uh, but the way to the solution to solve the riddle is different. Makes perfect sense. How do you see that the matrix is changing or the algorithm? You see it basically by how, who, who is relevant right now, I think. That is, to me, one of the biggest indicators. One thing that I realized, for example, that YouTube is changing again, and it is not based on your algorithm, actually. The algorithm doesn't make that many changes anymore. I mean, sure, there's this thing where they say the algorithm makes has like 300 changes every year or something, but I doubt that those changes are, you know, big enough to be, uh, you know, that th th they matter as much. I believe the biggest changes that you can really feel within the space is when simply the audience preference change. You know, if let's say... We're suddenly back in 2018 and I started a new YouTube channel where I do Pokemon Go and I have one and a half million subscribers all of a sudden because it is crazy. Everyone is into Pokemon Go. So my content is being, uh, you know, everyone is watching it. But then, of course, quickly after the sharp up comes the sharp down because it's not that great, uh, you know, the original euphoria from having childhood feelings and all that stuff goes away. Uh, suddenly, uh, my videos don't make millions of views. And all of a sudden, I only make 10,000 views, but I still stick to Pokemon Go. So uh, the algorithm hasn't changed, but the feelings about what you're doing has changed, which will be then reflected in how the algorithm will react to towards it. You know, um, so I think the algorithm doesn't change that much in a way that you have to be on top of everything. Just the, the macro changes you will see, you know, if all of a sudden everyone starts doing short form content, that is a thing you'll see even if, you know, even if you're not paying um, uh, attention, but that doesn't happen every year. So I think the biggest changes you have to uh, be on top of is just simply consume YouTube yourself and see what, uh, you know, who's relevant right now and what topics are relevant right now and what is repeating the whole time. Just trying to see the pattern of the contents of what people are uh, uh, seeing and what you're seeing, you know, that is, that is what I'm paying attention to. Like, do you do rigorous analysis then like every, once a month or once a quarter that you sit down, do a top 10 list, open up a spreadsheet and are like, okay, what are the things about the copies, about the thumbnails, about the, stories about the pictures about the whatever like do you do this stuff or how do you become a let, let's call you a doctor of youtube, YouTube doctor youtube doc how do you call yourself by the way what's your what's your branding youtube coach i i actually youtube doctor is actually a cool thing but yeah I'm not sure if it's allowed to have <laughs> doctor in your thing 
<laughs> Let's uh, brainstorm a couple of notes. This is insane. Like, yeah, the YouTube, Elon Musk of YouTube, man, or whatever. Like, how come you're not Elon Musk of YouTube? YouTube hacking. Hacker. YouTube ha hacker. YouTube hacker. Yeah, that, that has a different connotation. It sounds more like you're actually hacking the... the, the you're so an you actual hacker. The, you are a hacker. So, uh, well, what, what is the original question again? <laughs> Whether you're the YouTube doctor <laughs> or not. No, the original question was... Um, do we need to jump back in time? Uh, whether you do the, like once a quarter, whether you do this rigorous exercise of like opening a spreadsheet and then you're like, okay, thumbnails change like this, hooks like this compared to last year, last year, last year. I don't usually do that. Um, I think if I have one strength, then it would be pattern recognition. Uh, it's probably useful uh, to do. And I have done this in the past, for example, one of the things that I did that is very useful is um, by multiple categories, I look at competitors, no matter what niche, you look at co the top competitors and then you look at things that people usually like, you know, like if you can have a video with, with story or without story, you want a video with story because it just feels better. Uh, if someone is flexing or not flexing, somehow when you flex in the video, somehow it gives you more credibility, just a simple fact. You know, um, uh, what else? Uh, if the tactics of the video are better or the information in the video is better uh, or the person is more authentic or the whole video in, in total is more unique, you know, those are all things that anyone in the world, no matter which niche, would want to have. So uh, one thing where I actually do literally do an, an analysis is to just look in uh, what other people are doing like within the same niche and make a list of uh, and, and 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 basically rank how well they are doing in those uh, you know in, in those segments to see which one of those things let's say all of them are kind of the same they're all really good but none of them is unique then i know okay the market probably will appreciate if i come in and I'm the one who's unique because none of those channels is unique, you know? So I, I make an analysis based on the things that everyone would always want to see and then just see, okay, they are lacking this. So my channel will be literally this. So um, that's the only type of analysis I do because with the titles and thumbnails, uh, I don't usually need to write anything down because I uh, quickly recognize trends um uh by by itself um and how, how do you coach like where's the i'm just trying to figure out here also where's the uh like uh, how the coaching works because i see that you of course have a massive credibility and you've proven that you can do it yourself like on multiple platforms youtube tiktok also on ig i think significantly um and uh, and where does the however where comes the, does the transferability to other people come from right you're probably proving this in their results but like i'm just trying to figure out like do you study some youtube youtubers or do you take part in masterminds with youtubers or do you just see it by experimenting like i don't know in the end uh, of the day it's it's all systematized i'm not special in anything uh, you can always break it break it down why something works and happens right uh, i mean actually the best example for this is mr beast when you look at him he's not 
the most authentic person or the best looking person or the most anything none of it he's literally like he's a little bit like Danny Radcliffe like Harry Potter like the the there are some characters that work so well because they are just average as the people they are you know mm. so mm. in that sense he doesn't have any um, advantage towards anyone but then if you look at how the th the system works and you just play the system on the way how it wants to be played on then suddenly things work you know so uh, if you do have really good thumbnails, if you go, do have really good titles, if the hook uh, really catches the audience to want to watch the next minute and what you're saying is transformative, the video will work within the niche you're working. And if the video only has a few thousand views, even though it's a really good good video, then you can, I mean, you can always backwards rationalize why a video uh, didn't perform so well. Then the reason is... Uh, the total addressable market, it wasn't big enough. It was just, you know, two niche down. Then it was a problem with the topic, you know, or you can see the click-through rate is not as high. So it might be a packaging problem, you know, or you can see in the retention rate that people all left the video after three minutes. So there, there's a retention problem. So um, the nice thing about YouTube is you can explain everything away and change it. Um, you don't really need me or anyone um in in terms of you know there's no x factor of uh, only you can do it i can do it it is very explainable just do the things and the results will come and if the results didn't come then the problem was probably in execution you know so it's 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 the nice thing about youtube uh, in comparison to many other uh coachings it's you always get numbers back and with numbers you can always work and when you can work with numbers you can always uh, improve and get to the result cool and how often do people check in with you then once a week nice and do you give them like daily upload schedules no um it's uh it depends it, it depends on their own schedule of course and on the niche because if you are uh, a, an influencer that does super complicated videos that take long uh, for like a very long time then saying once a week means in order to make that happen they may have to make their quality worse so that is that will be someone who makes a documentary you know the documentary youtuber that uh, usually takes a month on for one video if it's um uh, the standard um uh, standard um brand person personal brand um you know that that person usually makes a simpler type of video that can easily do one video per week even more because he'll just hire an editor um and then uh you know it's it's no problem but uh those are things where um we we make like one regular schedule where it's like okay where are you at and then it's like one okay we can do one video uh, per, per week or one video every bi-weekly or one video per month it depends heavily on what it is that they're actually doing yeah, it makes perfect sense. Love the answer. Hey, Kojo, now zooming out a bit, like when you built your YouTube channel up 10 years ago, I think what you once told me, and correct me if this is BS, of course, I think you started by uploading just super random videos daily for like a year or something. And then you built up an audience bottom up. So you didn't mm -hmm. like sit down and were like, okay, this is the niche I want to target. And this is a thing Da da da. And nowadays it's exactly the opposite. So nowadays you're the YouTube doctor. So you sit there and you're like, okay, 
this is the niche we will target. We'll go experiment-wise in there. We'll see the data, da, 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 da. So it's like top-down engineering versus bottom-up. Um, could the bottom, like, how do you think about this? And then I'll ask you a follow-up question. I think it is a good strategy when you don't know what you're doing. I, uh, it, when I was starting, though, um, back in the days, I already, I, I always had a strategy. Uh, the thing is, when I started, I went into specific niches for the simple reason that I knew uh, a lot of people like to watch this type of content. So um, my strategy was never super elaborate, but it was always focused on what seems to be something that is working right now. But now, of course, with, you know, 10 years of experience in YouTube, I, uh, of course, it just makes more sense to not, you know, shoot in every direction, but be more targeted because, you know, I already have certain knowledge to not jump into specific holes that just drains your time, of course. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Hey, um, another zoom out now. Let's even further zoom out. I, I, it's, I'm excited to see where we end up with all of the zooming out. Um, you started out by um, playing yo-yo, actually. Oh, yeah, like what means you started out? Like, I mean, the first achievements which you can find about Kojo Online were in yo-yo. Then it was the YouTube and then was like a, uh, was it was this realm where you did many different things still. However, it seems like one thing which you're like, which you do not have a problem with whatsoever is like picking a battle and like just picking, okay, I will do this, you know? Whereas like for me, I've had like a period where I was like totally on the introspect, like I did this exercise, introspection. So within myself, more or less retrospection, what I did in the past, like uh, mount at uh, like, um, Mining the mountain peak, I think this exercise is called. So basically going to your flow states of the past and seeing what this, what, what was beautiful there. And then extrospection. So asking your environment where you were also part. So what am I super good at? And what am I, what, what do I suck at kind of stuff? So what I'm saying is, uh, you're super good at picking just one battle and then playing this battle. Like, how do you, uh, how do you think about this? And how do you think about battle picking and in general, like, systems design and also business design like how many open work streams do you have a project or like all of this stuff <clears throat> does the question make sense i understand the question i think it's not so it's, i'm not sure if i let's see where, where where the answer leads i think in the end of the day it's a matter of uh energy you know when you look at your motivation that's just another form of energy so uh, someone might want to lose 20 kilos because they are heavy so uh, either you have so much emotion positive or negative that's driving you to do that that you can achieve it or you're just barely have enough energy to start but then you realize quickly after saying no to the third uh, you know christmas event meal with the team uh, you know, after the third time, you you don't have the willpower anymore. Then you realize, okay, there wasn't enough energy in the, in the first place for that. So the the energy I'm referring to is like mental energy in terms of is behind all of this, is there a strong emotion that can carry you from start to finish? So if you start to do a thing and after six weeks, you realize, mm -hmm. 
you know, you have that feeling like always like, yeah, okay, I, I did this now and I think I get the gist of it and stuff, but I'm not so sure. And I'm not sure if feeling the feeling of no, I'm not so sure is the right feeling to have, right? I'm pretty sure you understand that. And I think many people can relate to that where you did the thing and then, you know, the basic euphoria at the beginning um, went away. And then you have to make uh, two decisions. Either the euphoria went away because you're hitting the first challenge and the challenge is so massive that uh, you really need to know why you're doing it so you can get over it. Or uh, you don't really have a real reason to do it. So, of course, that first challenge will show you is a mirror to show you actually don't want to do this because you will never climb over this wall, you know? So uh, what I'm trying to predict early on, on whatever I'm doing, and I'm not trying to sound like an expert in any of that because I got that, uh, like people say that to me all the time. Like you do, you're like, like this, <laughs> not like that at all. Like zero. It's mm. interesting because that means uh, everyone has like a screenshot of me in those moments obviously, because that's not how it is at all. I am struggling all the time, but that's the thing, right? And then the moment when something happens, it's usually a good thing. And then people see that good. I am struggling all the time, but that's the thing, right? And then the moment when something happens, it's usually a good thing. And then people see that good moment. And it's like, wow, good moment here, good moment there, good moment there. That's how it is all the time, I guess. Nope. For almost no person in the world, uh, life is not working like that moment. And it's like, wow, good moment here, good moment there, good moment there. That's how it is all the time, I guess. Nope. For almost no person in the world, uh, life is not working like that. I, I don't know anyone, that, even uh, the, the most successful ones. I have friends with, with companies that with 100 million uh, uh, that are worth 100 million and it's not working like that. It is not like that. How do so, you predict um, it? How do you predict this? Like within eight weeks or something? I it, to be honest, it isn't a thing you can one hundred percent predict. The thing is, what I can, uh, and and I guess to me that is a thing that is not really something you can grasp because it's a specific feeling where you know, okay, this is this is the right type of feeling you should have. Uh, for example, uh, I was considering to do a thing uh, like starting a channel with doing super easy viral content on TikTok because. A friend of and I saw the opportunity to make a business out of that. But then quickly I realized I do not mm. care about the content. Uh, and what it requires is probably a little more work than what it what it is in my mind. At the moment when it is shit hits the fan and it's actually a little bit more, I'm already not willing to do that work. So knowing that, I shouldn't even start. So um, there's another model, mental model that will work, uh, that will help a lot of people. I believe because it helped me quite a lot um, in in physics when you have um, two elements that are supposed to react to it with each other you need a catalyst catalyst is nothing else but uh, an outside energy that is required for that um, uh, reaction to happen so those two things could be next to each other they don't react with each other and there's nothing happening but as as soon as enough outside energy as a catalyst comes in the reaction can happen so it is the same in in real life as well whatever you start uh requires a catalyst an outside energy for the reaction of change to happen and that is the reason why most people drink caffeine why they drink coffee because when you start your day you're tired you have to do some stuff caffeine is the catalyst for you to be able to start stuff 
because it gives you that fake euphoria. It gives you a little bit uh, feeling of fake energy. So that is the catalyst for things to, to happen. But if you really want to do the things you want to do, you have to leave out all that, that shit like caffeine and so on that gives you the false feeling of, yeah, I mean, I can do that because, you know, now that you drank caffeine, uh, you can you can do all those tasks. But if you don't feel um, excited to do them in the first place, if you don't use that catalyst from the outside, caffeine, you know, or in Wall Street, people take other stuff as a catalyst, you know, then it is probably not a thing that you actually want to do, you know. So my solution is you always have to think how much starting energy, the catalyst, do you need to start the thing you need you, you want to do? And if the starting energy is low, then that has potential for you to to pursue it long term. So if you don't require caffeine, you don't require anything, and the starting energy is low, means that is something you can uh, you can work with. Impressive. Like Memento calls this uh, effortless. Like as soon as something is effortless and you just do it by default, then you then just continue doing it. Exactly. And um, there's another thing in, instead of caffeine that can be a catalyst because sometimes, you know, you have a heavy task that's, that requires a lot of um, uh, starting energy. And that thing is inspiration. If you do a task where that intrinsically ha has some sort of inspiration, you know, a new project, something that requires Uh, creativity, something that requires something different out of you, something you've never done before, and it, it gives you a feeling of inspiration from somewhere. That inspiration itself is a source of energy that can carry over the edge to to actually get it get it done. Yeah, beautifully put. Brings us perfectly into the next uh, next question, man. We have so many so many bullets here to cover. It's insane. Man, I'm currently deep diving into... So thank you very much for this explanation. First of all, Kujo, I think like crazily nice explained. So very, very new viewpoints for me. Solopreneuring. Uh, I'm currently diving into this world or I have been now solopreneuring for a couple of months, right? And really wanting to, to make the plane lift off. Uh, I have a couple of people around me, whether online or offline. Um, and still, it's a very it's a very special game because you're on your own, right? More or less. And yeah. um, I mean, you've been solopreneuring your entire life. I've just realized today. And then mm -hmm. you're, you're this interesting, like putting this into the, into, into your uh, answer bucket also, like you're this very interesting mix of somehow an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. I know it's not binary and stuff, but you're like, What's uh, remarkable about you is that you are very comfortable also spending months on your own. And at the same time, you're a YouTuber, which is like, I would say some degree of major or some main degree of extroversion has to be in there. So how do you feel about your character in the solopreneurship journey? Have you ever seen it as solopreneurship? How do you handle it? Like, yeah. Um, I think the... The beauty of the whole solopreneurship is if you're interested in, in personal development, it is one of the smartest things to do. If you become a, a solopreneur, the equation is always the same. If something doesn't work, it's your fault, period. And uh, then you, you turn around, look in the mirror and look at what is lacking, what is missing. 
okay, you had sales calls, but you couldn't close. So maybe you're shit at selling or you don't have any sales calls because uh, you are bad. You, you don't get enough traffic or you have enough traffic, but people don't really want to talk to you for a sales call. You know, so um, you can, what, whatever your goal is, you can always ask yourself, do I have what I want? No. Okay. Why don't I have it? Okay. Uh, and then you just, you know, backwards rationalize where the problem is. And the problem will always be because there's something you still have to learn, you know? And that is the thing that, that's how I so see solopreneurship. It is to me, nothing else but personal development. You read, you don't understand something, read a book, you know, you don't understand something, then watch a YouTube video if you don't want to read a book. Um, uh, watch podcast, find the right type of sources. And whenever something goes wrong, you learn something from it. And um, that this is how I see solopreneurship. Solopreneurship is equal to personal development. To me, that's the next level to personal development. You realize, okay, you will not make any money through personal development, but you will make money through solopreneurship. And it's the same thing, but it is way harder because the you 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 uh, there are so many more uh, painful moments that you have to go through and lessons um, versus mm, within the, because you have to apply stuff, you know, that is the biggest difference in solopreneurship. You want to make money. So you have to do stuff, which means there will be some sort of outcome, even if the outcome is zero and that will be painful. But in uh, personal development, you can read books and it's this circle jerk where you feel like you're learning something, but you never apply anything. And you're actually at the same point where you started and it could feel rewarding while you don't actually achieve anything, you know? So it is, I feel like that is the, the, the difference. It is to me personal development, but applied. And do you, have you ever had some, oh, oh, what helps me a lot is just to have every once in a while, it doesn't need to be daily. It can be weekly, uh, an exchange for like 15 to 30 minutes with a friend with whom I spar my current problems, right? Where I'm like, okay, all challenges, right? So, okay, this is where I stand. This is da, 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 da. Have you ever institutionalized this or did you need this? Or like, how do you feel about this? Is it only that you're like, no, if I have a problem, I go to YouTube or listen to a podcast. Uh, I, I think it's one of the most important things to always have some sort of peer group that you can, can talk to. Most of the time I don't really need it. I have a friend that I do a mastermind with every week um, where uh, we realized oftentimes that he has good ideas for my thing. I have a good idea for his thing every time. So it makes sense to just keep that going um, because ideas are free and usually are one of the biggest catalysts for change. Um, so uh, definitely it's a, a thing I, I am uh, actually using as a tool, basically. How, since when do you do it and how do the mastermind sessions go? Um, since 2020, I believe, I believe before COVID uh, we started and, um, we usually just have a call depending on where we at, you know, if, uh, uh, I'm at the airport or something, then it's not a video call, but like a normal phone call or, um, you know, we're both settled. We do a regular video call and then, uh, it's completely free flow, you know, just wherever we are at, we, we just update each other and see, um, what, what comes out, you know, what this association is with whatever the situation we're facing. Got it. Super cool. Hey, Kudro, then um, I would just switch to a couple of re more rapid fire questions now. I think everything has been quite rapid, what we've been doing. It's a crazy pace. Uh, still, I would just like to, to keep it clean at like one hour, one hour ten or something. And uh, let's now just uh, fire some stuff out. 
This was actually from my mentor. Uh, a question is like, uh, why did you stop YouTubing? That is a really good question. So in 2017, there was a moment where uh, I had a good friend of mine uh, staying over. He, he was staying at my place for a couple of weeks because he moved to Germany from Denmark. And uh, I, compl I, I he literally saw me turning on the camera. I did my content. And every time I wasn't filming, I was complaining um, because I didn't really like what I was doing anymore. And uh, it was a very long phase where it was literally like that. I uh, did my content and felt that the, um, not the pressure, but the resistance got bigger and bigger to the degree where I, it, it <laughs> and that's the thing why, why I brought up the example with the caffeine. I have experience with that because I noticed that at some point I was drugging myself with so much caffeine that at some point I was having around 800 milligrams a day for caffeine. How many like, coffees is that? That is in, counted in coffees. If, uh, usually coffee has between 80 and 100. So that's at least eight to 10 uh, uh, coffees every day. And, um, and then I started to have breathing problems <laughs> and my, and my friend was like, maybe you shouldn't, I, I, I wasn't drinking coffee. Actually, I was drinking, um, uh, like workout boosters because they had much more caffeine in one. So I was consuming all of that in, in form of workout, pre-workout boosters. And when I had breathing problems, I was like, maybe you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that, you know, but it, I, I wasn't really aware of all of that. At, 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 in that moment, but that was the me mechanic I was in. I, in order to continue YouTube, I, the, the activation cost was so enormously huge that I had to compensate with a lot of caffeine to make me do the stuff in the first place, you know? And, you know, the moment you have problems breathing, then you should maybe do a break and reconsider what you actually want to do. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, puts puts what you earlier said nicely into context also with the effortless stuff and and and, and so on um um what's driving you right now because i think Ooh. financial reasons are probably not the thing it's not that you're like in this hustler mode of yo i need to yeah What is driving me right now? Why do you get up? Like, I know the frame of why do you get up in the morning is so overused and stuff, but like, um, hmm. can we get another phrase? Why do you, why do you not drink coffee anymore? Let's put it this way. Or why do you drink fewer coffees? Uh, I, I don't consume caffeine at all. Actually. I don't, uh, I don't even eat chocolate because it contains ca caffeine. So, uh, like literally zero caffeine in any way. Um, I want to be as clear and as healthy as possible. I mean, there's a lot to experience in life, you know, within business and with, uh, outside of business. So um, uh, within business, there are some experiences I still want to make. You know, I think one thing will be to literally grow a company with, uh, you know, with a sizable amount of employees. I think that is a thing I should do at some point. Uh, that that is a cool challenge to have. Mm, and within life, um, I think you know I have very simple, very very basic experiences. You know, like 
uh, it, like in the gym, just uh, be a little bit more like at my peak. Um, and outside of that, you know, see more countries, understand more cultures, understand more dynamics of people. You know, I'm just generally interested in understanding why things happen the way they do, good or bad. So um, I basically wake up and do stuff because I'm curious to do certain things and understand things. Got it. Um, beautiful. What are your favorite routines? Do you have any? Or also, I don't also an anti-routines, like for instance, not drinking alcohol or something. Hmm. Uh, I I have a very very uh, <laughs> uh, strange routine actually. Uh, I don't leave the bed before I haven't meditated for 20 minutes. Once I meditate for 20 minutes, I take a cold shower. I do that every day. Otherwise, I cannot really start working. Sometimes I start working right away before I meditate and take cold showers, um, depending on how much it feels like, how much activation cost uh, I, I need to have to actually do the hard work. So I sometimes start that right away. Um, and then from Monday to Friday, I only eat rice and chicken. Uh, and every Friday I eat like a in, insanely huge pizza. Like you have never seen that before. It looks, if, if we went out for dinner and you saw me uh, ordering that and we sit on the same table, you feel like you would feel embarrassed because you're like, what have, what the fuck, you know, like, and I do that every Friday, you know, uh, and then <laughs> everyone in the restaurant. It's looking because it is just such a strange How look. How big is the pizza? Then, that's the thing. If I show you, you know, if I show you how big it is, you couldn't, you you don't really have a, it's, it's a 50 centimeter pizza. Okay. I can't 50. imagine. No, no clue. Exactly. Exactly. You can't really imagine it is, but I, uh, have you ever ordered a family pizza? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's larger than a family no pizza. No way. And you eat it on your own? Yeah. That every time. Totally, and then when totally I leave, though, like in its entirety? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every time uh, I leave, it's either people looking and then, you know, being like, you know, <laughs> or the the owner. Sometimes, you know, there's a new waiter. He's like, where did that go? You know, I, I stand up and I'm I'm thin and I'm, I'm like, you know, I don't look like, you know, I do that every day. But then... I don't know, but you know, I do that. And then, uh, you know, the uh, week repeats rice and chicken throughout the week. Uh, I go to the gym two, three times, um, and, uh, you know, work in between, um, from, from Monday to Saturday, usually, or Monday to Friday. And then, uh, on Sunday again, or something, sometimes in the weekend, some, is, somehow. Is the pizza on the menu? The pizza is on the menu. Yeah. What is it called? I mean, it's it's just a simple margarita. Okay, okay, okay. I thought it's maybe like the, I don't know, like the triple triple XL family boost. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> last two questions. What's the funniest? Like when I when I was on your YouTube channel this morning, I like one <laughs> the last question. You, yeah, the last video you uploaded was like a YouTube a hot dog video. <laughs> Like where you were like, oh, if you knew those six things about this type of food, you wouldn't eat it. And I was just like, what? <laughs> this thumbnail already jumps at me. Like, what was the funniest video you can remember doing or making? The funniest. Or like the one which pops into your head. Oh, yo, this was crazy. No, 
Okay, I cannot say that one, but uh, because it's not online anymore. Uh, I, another one I, I can say is I did a uh, a parody of Paranormal Activity. Mm. It was very long time ago, like 2014, like, you know, like nine years ago. And that was quite funny, actually. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't funny, but I rewatched it with my with today's eyes and it was so not funny that i had to laugh aloud uh, because it was terrible <laughs> i'll check it out let's put it in the show notes of this podcast or maybe i'll upload this as a video episode of course also in a treasure a traditional youtube uh, manier uh, very last one i also this morning checked your tiktok and then you spoke about what's so special about your favorite movie <laughs> then you were like the favorite movie shows you like the the main character in the favorite movie, you or you basically, you feel like the the main character in your favorite movie, right? That's why you like it so much. Kojo, ah, what's your favorite movie? But I think you listed it, you named it already in the TikTok. Do you know it? Wait a second. Ah, you put it in the cam. You held your laptop in the camera, and I can't remember it. One second, give me a second. I'll cut out the waiting time. <sighs> give me a tip. Uh, the cover you probably saw was like white and blue. Ah, and people were wearing a bit more bit suits. More. Space suits. Ah, yo, Interstellar. Dum 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 Nice man, why do we why do you like it so much? What's the main character like? That's also your outro by the way right now. Music will soon fade in onto the final in the final cut here. Uh well Interstellar I don't like particularly because of the main character. Uh it is I mean you can also like movies because of the theme. And the theme of the movie was quite audacious in terms of the message. I mean, the movie was made like with in in, in uh, collaboration with the actual physic uh, physicist Kip Thorne is a, a super famous physicist. He collaborated um, uh, and uh, with the with the movie, and um, it was quite accurate in terms of how physics works. But, and I'm not spoiling the end of the movie, the end of the movie had a message that was like very, very, very out there. But the crazy thing is the message of the movie to me was spoke to me so much that I, I've never seen a movie that put it, put something you can't put into words so beautifully into a movie. That's why I like Interstellar so much. And with the, with the main character, in terms of uh, how I would associate with the main character, the main character uh, has to make a difficult choice between either staying um, with the familiar, with his loved ones, or uh, doing the things that he has to do because he has to save the world. But at the same time, his selfish needs are to explore because he was always a, an explorer. So uh, that is a very interesting uh, dichotomy because everyone has that I, I believe at least every every ambitious person in the world has that that they have this feeling of 
one way they help this feeling of, yeah, I want to settle a little bit and everything is cool and, you know, easy breezy. And then there's, there's this other side that wants to explore and do shit. And it is so contradictory in both directions. And that idea is super old already because uh, in 1920, 1926 or something, I don't remember when the book came out. Hermann Hesse, Steppenwolf is literally about that. It is 100% exactly that problem that whenever you're resting, the inner wolf wants to experience. And whenever you're the inner wolf and what is experiencing, you want to rest. So you can never win and you're always in conflict with yourself. And that is kind of also the theme of how the main character works in that movie, which is also why I like it so much. Nice. Uh, again, super nicely put. Man, yeah. very, very last one, because I just want to ask you this. What's your biggest source of inspiration right now? Person to follow, book to read, movie to watch, song to listen to? Because it's the last thing, it sounds like now it has the most um, most impact, but that's not true. It's just something that I'm listening in the moment, and it's helping quite a lot. It's uh, I'm actually listening to an audiobook by Ryan Holiday, um, which was uh, The Obstacle is the Way. It's a book about uh, stoicism. Um, I think that is always very useful when you're going through either rough times or if you're going through uncertain times or in general, if you just need to have your mind straight, uh, straight now, because that's in the end uh, what it is. You know, we all have problems simply because of, uh, because our mind is not really as stable as we think it is. And hard times, dealing with things in hard times the right way will make us as stable as you can get. Is this also the final shout out you want to do? Yeah. Nice. Then, Kuju, thank you very much for those 80 minutes pure ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Nonlinear. If you like the content, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at IamKrishi3. Three is the number and Krishi with S-C-H-I. Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions or just want to chat. 